Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. But only after Blackburn had battered City for an hour, hitting the post and the bar four times in total. Similarly, oh, I cannot say that word. Similar, no. <laughs> Similarly, similar. Oh god, I, I nailed it in that other one. Similarly, you know when you say a word and it doesn't sound right in your head. Similarly, no, no, no. I just can't say that word. I'm gonna have to make something up and do it in a different way. In a similar vein of form, City needed. No, 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 no. Because it's not a similar vein of form, is it? Similarly, oh my god. Similarly, similar, oh my god, <laughs> it's too early, still got Covid brain man. Whether it's good or bad, it seems you can always count on Manchester City for entertainment value on the final day of the season. And you can always count on me having a mare when you put in similarly, similar, similar, similarly. Similarly. Similarly? <sighs> Whatever. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club, and this is your show. Roll up, roll up. It's time for the latest season of the Blue Moon Podcast. Welcome one and all as we begin our 14th term following Manchester City. We're all another year older, but definitely not another year wiser. So thank you for sticking with us as we're hoping the team can secure their seventh Premier League title in that time. Glory hunters, that's what we all are. Anyway, it's a fresh season with some fresh faces and we're here to hold your hand all the way through it. You'll laugh, you'll cry and hopefully there'll be at least some silverware in the cabinet come May. We start with Saturday's Community Shield. The quintuple bid starts at the King Power against Liverpool, so we'll be taking a look at City's record on neutral venues that aren't Wembley. Never let it be said that we're already running out of ideas for this season. I'm David Mooney, and for this opening show, I'm joined by two City fans. We've got Richard Burns. Hello there. And Kieran Murray. Hi. Uh, so, Richard, good summer. Enjoy it. Uh, yeah, it's been lovely, thank you. How about you? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. It got a bit warm for a week, but that was all. That, you know, we got through that, and now we're all out the other side of it safe and well. Kieran, you good? <laughs> yes, I'm brilliant, man. I'm grand. How are you? Yeah, I, well, I've just answered that question, so I don't really know how to how to say it again without saying the same thing. But a bit are. warm. A bit warm, yeah. got a bit warm for a while, but we're through the other side of it now, and we're all right. <laughs> uh. So, uh, yes, let's start. Uh, let's get into the football uh, quickly, I think, if that's the level that we're starting with. Um, we'll go with uh, the, the biggest stories, I think, from uh, from pre-season. Um, Kieran, we'll start with uh, the arrival of uh, Erling Haaland, because uh, we knew last season that he was uh, he was going to arrive. Uh, he is now here. How are you feeling? Brilliant. Yeah, really, really good. Dream come true, literally, if you remember the dream I had about him visiting my dad's field. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, so we're one step closer to that dream being accomplished. Um, yeah, no, he's he, he's perfect. Uh, I thought in his kind of unveiling video that he was quite quiet and shy, a little bit reserved. Um, 
and a little bit within himself, but at his, you know, kind of live unveiling and on his social media and then in the match as well. Uh, it just seems to have settled really well with the rest of the squad. Uh, he seems fired up. He seems dead, dead happy and grounded. Uh, he seems to have already made a few close mates. And I'm so excited to watch him play football this season. I can't even tell you. Yeah. Richard, what have your first impressions of him been? Not, not, like, not even as a player, because he's only been on the pitch for 40 minutes in, in pre-season, but, but like just around the place. Well, I mean, like like Kieran says, he seems from like his interviews where he's already um, like the way he's talking about his teammates and his sort of the way his teammates are talking about him. Like there's, there's clearly already a really good bond there with some of them, which is uh, which is like really really encouraging. But I think he carries himself like what he is is a, an absolute megastar already. Uh, what is he just turned twenty two, and he's. Um, yeah, I think he's clearly aware of his status and his quality. And I think like sometimes that can, or a lot of the time that can border into arrogance. But I think it seems to be like when you listen to him talk, he's got a really healthy understanding of exactly how good he is and what he can offer to the team. Um, and I think that that just makes it so exciting because it's real. Like his talent is there, isn't it? He's not... He's not um, you know, it's not a Nicholas Bentner situation where he's imagining his own his own talent. It's not like misplaced arrogance. And he, he's going to come in and whether it's hitting the ground running or not, he's, he's going to score a lot of goals at some point. And it's just, it's so exciting to have this guy at City, like an absolute megastar already. Yeah. He was nine when I started doing this. Nine when I started podcasting. I just like I, that. That makes me feel old. It really does. Um, let's hear from Kyle Walker. He was speaking in a press conference ahead of the two-one win over Club America in Texas. Uh, this is what he had to say about Erling Holland and uh, how he was settling in. Erling, you know, he's been really good. Um, he's young. We have to take that into consideration. Obviously, he's got a, you know, big responsibilities and probably big boots to fill with. You know, Aguero being the last bar Jesus out and out striker for Manchester City but what I've seen in training he looks strong he looks powerful uh, and he looks eager and that's the main thing you know as long as he keeps his standards and keeps doing what he was doing at Dortmund and brings the the same you know mentality and you know he adapts to the Premier League which we all know it's very difficult no one or very few people come into a team and you know hit the ground running straight away so he's going to need time but that's down to us as players and managers and the club as a whole to make sure that you know we're making him feel as welcome as possible. Kieran, that's it's a really encouraging clip, that isn't it? Yeah, I, I sort of can't get over how um, mature and professional Walker sounds in that. Uh, I suppose just with some more of the senior players leaving, um, he will feel like he's stepping up into that kind of you know being around the block for a little while now, City, and um, he sounds like he's got a really um, wise head on his shoulders there, and the advice that he's passing down to Haaland. Um, and he's trying to sort of not dampen expectations, but you know, steady the ship a little bit and make sure that um, nobody's kind of hyping it up too much to the point where it's to Haaland's detriment. Uh, he's reminding us that he's young. He's reminding us that it's all brand new to him. Um, but it's really nice to hear how strong, how powerful, how eager he is in training. Um, and I mean, that can only hold us in good stead. And if somebody senior like Walker's uh, speaking that positively about him already. Um, and it seems genuine as well. You know, it's not like you, you never thought that he was just, you know, giving token answers there that were sort of media set. Uh, it seemed to be his real genuine um, summary of what he's seen so far, Helen. And it's really encouraging for us as City fans. 
Yeah, um, and he's like just on the pitch as well, Richard Harland. He seems to be linking up well with the rest of the team already. Yeah, definitely. I think from um, I'm going to be really honest and say I didn't stay up beyond midnight for the buying game, so I've only got the highlights to go off. Part time fan that I am, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's. I mean, the, the goal his goal against Bayern is like it's great reading of the situation and it's like clearly knows um or he's already quite in step with what the movement is going to be like De Bruyne's uh De Bruyne's pass out to Grealish and the ball across is the kind of move that you would expect City to be making a lot with a um with an out and out striker waiting in the box and that is it's just really indicative of having a player like, there's been all this talk this summer about, oh, how will he fit in and the City going to have to change for him? We've become so used to not having an out-and-out striker. And actually, a, a little, like a goal like that is just a reminder that um, when done well, like football can be a really simple game and it can be quite overblown sometimes thinking about how much they're going to have to change when we've got players who can create chances and a, a guy who can score them at a phenomenal rate. It's... Um, it's really encouraging to see somebody 12 minutes into the first start, friendly though it was, um, getting a, a tapping goal because it's that, that's your bread and butter as a striker and he's already showing his aptitude for it in that team. Yeah, Richard mentioned it there, Kieran, but also um, there was a couple of other moments in that buying game that didn't result in goals and they all seemed to come from uh, a Jack Grealish-Erling Haaland partnership. That could be quite fruitful, couldn't it? Yeah, oh, I'm so excited about it. Uh, and Kevin De Bruyne is never far away from the two of them either. Um, so yeah, it just it, it's something to keep your eye on. If Grealish is suddenly, I saw somebody's tweet, and I, I think it was tongue in cheek, but it was probably a little bit true as well. They said that Grealish is probably having to step up a little bit because he doesn't want Haaland to think he's shit. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> like, if if that's if that's the case, and if if that's at the at the root core, I mean, we're all going to benefit from it. I don't see what's wrong with that. I, um, I just got this image now of Grealish like twenty four seven in the gym, just constantly working yeah, yeah. with this with this kind of uh, inferiority complex. Yeah, <laughs> but if I mean, if that helps him to step up, I, I also think it's an interesting one that you know. Uh, after the big price tag on Grealish last year, he knows there's a sort of, as Richard called him, a new megastar in town. So he can sort of step back into the shadows a little bit and um, the pressure might be off his shoulders a tad. Yeah, I think he mentioned it, you know. I think there was there was something somewhere about uh, Grealish saying something like uh, Haaland had said to him, well, you, you cost 100 million and I didn't cost that. So uh, oh, like, right. no, no pressure on my shoulders. Something like that. I'm digging that out from the back of my head. I'm, I'm sure that's happened though. It um, did, it yeah. did. Um, wow. Let's have a listen to this as well. Uh, this is Erling Haaland uh, asked about his new relationship with Jack Grealish in the mix zone after the uh, 1-0 win over Bayern Munich in uh, Green Bay. This is what he said. He's good. Uh, he has to get better. Uh, I have to get better. But uh, good link. I like the vibe around him. So uh, it's going to be fun. Short and sweet that, Richard. But uh, <laughs> it is going to be fun, isn't it? You can sense the fun is here already. But I mean, I think anybody who's seen Jack Grealish since the season ended knows where the fun is and likes the vibe around him, don't they? To be, to be fair, <laughs> he's not he's not a fellow that anybody seems to be bored around. Um, just, but no, just, yeah. just vibes. That's what the kids say these days. They just vibes. <laughs> yeah. He, um, it, it, the fact that Harland can say after is again friendly, but is his first performance to be comfortable standing there in front of the world's media and talking about how his teammate needs to get better. Like that's how that's how you drive improvement, isn't it? Like team team has to sort of hold each other to account and acknowledge 
I can do better, you can do better at this. And like, clearly it already looks like there's some, um, the makings of a really fruitful relationship there. And it's so positive to hear that kind of talk. I, I absolutely love it. Yeah. Um, Kieran, the the thing I think, like in, the, the encouraging thing, I mean, Richard mentioned about the simplicity of uh, Summer City's uh, movements and goals in, uh, that, that we could see with Haaland there. I think the encouraging thing is that there's somebody between the posts who's desperate to get on the end of things by sliding in to, towards the line. And it's like, like the number of times the ball flashed across the box last season, you went, oh, well, yeah. if only there was somebody there. Well, yeah, now there's somebody yeah. there. That was the go-to kind of remark, wasn't it, every time over the last two seasons when... Um, when one of those low hard crosses flashed across the six yard box, um, if only there was a striker on the end of it, and how nice that you know our our massive megastar new signing, um, who's been bought with all this expectation, has scored, even though it was only a you know a friendly debut as such, um, has scored a goal like that that you know everybody's been saying we've been crying out for and, and missed. Um, I haven't heard anybody say that. Like Nathan Ake probably would have scored it if Alan wasn't there, though. Did he say like he, <laughs> he, he slid in just after him? So uh, yeah, it would have been a different story if we were still on the uh, on the false Nunu setup. Like <laughs> the false what? <laughs> the, the, the false Nunu? Haven't, haven't we ever called it that before on the podcast? I, no, I've never heard that on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Right, uh, uh, that must be one from the from the pub or something that's that's carried in here. I thought I thought we'd said it before. No, I've never uh, heard it before. I love the idea now that it could get into the lexicon, and you might be cited on this podcast as the first use of it. That's that's incredible. <laughs> I'm sure we've used it before as a, in a sort of piss ticky manner. This is going to be one of those things, you know, like when Pep occasionally drops in the fact that he's clearly on Twitter when he like calls himself fra- Fraudiola. Yeah. At some point this season, he's going to refer to the false Nunu, and you're going to know he listens to the podcast. We, yeah, we know he we know he gets his tactical advice from us idiots. Yeah. <laughs> why did Why did you not use a sub after fi- at all in the entire game, Pep? You've got five. It's because you guys on the podcast keep telling me to use them. Yeah. <laughs> Um, let's talk uh, about Julian Alvarez as well because uh, he began the game against Club America. Uh, this is Kevin De Bruyne's thoughts on uh, the new Argentinian forward. He was speaking to City TV after the game. It looks really, really good. I think a lot of people have been really impressed with him because obviously you see sometimes some clips on the internet, but it's very different playing. Maybe the fact that he's still in like a full flow of season helped him a bit, but he started sharp. Uh, he played really well today. And uh, I think he could be be a big player for us. Richard, what are your thoughts on Alvarez so far? He's uh, he, he's come kind of as this exciting signing, but with the with the knowledge that having you know played for for River and for having played in the Argentinian league, it's not the not the most competitive of leagues. Um, he certainly seems to be uh, be kind of causing a little bit of a stir and a little bit of excitement, doesn't he? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've got to say, I absolutely love the idea that Kevin De Bruyne has scouted his teammates on YouTube. There's a a Giorgio Samaras video from back in the day that he would enjoy watching, convincing me he was the best striker in the world. We all fell for that one. Yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, it's like there's, there's loads of reasons why City signing an Argentinian striker is really exciting anyway because we've got a, a decent uh, a decent track record with them recently um, I was going to say I, you need the word <laughs> recently on there otherwise Matias Veloso gets into the conversation and you know it, it never never really hit his full potential uh, yeah fair comment um, he's 
like he's clearly talented like that's the thing that you can see like the kind of talent that he has is is really exciting like he's he's more than a sort of efficient type of player isn't it there seems to be a good amount of flair there from the bits that I've seen and again I'm uh, surprisingly no better than De Bruyne most of it is uh, is YouTube based I've not watched that much Argentinian you, League you haven't been to see River play live in the last listen, six months I'd, I'd love to but um, but sadly not um, <laughs> but like he, he seems to have a decent range of goals a, a really really natural talent wasn't there was it a double hat trick he scored towards the end of the season um, like it doesn't matter what league you're playing in if you're playing professional football and notching I think it was six if you scored yeah. five or six goals in a game there's some talent there in there and I don't know there's, there's loads just felt odd about this transfer until it's actually like until he's been confirmed to staying at City there's been loads of sort of oh we'll wait and see what he's like in training and will he be loaned out but now it's like everybody seems pretty firm that he's um, like he's clearly here to stay and they're, they're including him in all the marketing and, and sort of building the buzz for the season so yeah it's another one um it's another one to be excited about, and he's probably got the benefit of being. Well, he's definitely got the benefit of being a much, much lower key signing than Haaland. So he might be able to, um, in a really good way, hide in his shadow a little bit to to bed in. Yeah, to settle, uh, Kieran. How I mean, how involved do you think, or well, maybe how involved do you hope he'll be? Uh, yeah, I hope we'll see a good bit of him. To be honest, um, I've been I've been dead impressed with him. Somebody said that uh, his pressing reminded them of Tevez a little bit, and Tevez was one of my favorite players ever to watch at the ground off the ball and just see what he was doing and how how he strived to win it back. So if we've got somebody along those lines, um, I think the five subs thing, which you, you've already sort of touched upon, um, could really help players like that to bed and to settle in. Um, you know, if we're wanting to see out a game. And you know there are more options than just the traditional three uh, players like that who we maybe thought were just going to be sort of fringe squad players um, might get a bit more action on the pitch. But I mean, with with the hype that comes with him and the expectation that comes with him, and with the start that he's made in preseason, I don't see why we we can't see quite a lot of him, especially the fact that Sterling and Jesus uh, have gone. And you know, there's there's places to be fought for, and um, he's clearly a, a, an exceptional talent. So yeah, I hope to see a lot of him. He's ex- he's you, dead dead exciting. Do you think he'll have to be? He'll have to be wide on the right though, won't he? Because he's like he's, yeah. he, he isn't getting in ahead of Haaland. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe maybe to rotate Haaland out in the in some of the cup games, he might uh, start through the middle or something like that. But um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how he does from the right as well. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. 
is the Blue Moon Podcast. Well, let's uh, hear from Calvin Phillips, one of the other new signings. He was speaking in the mix zone ahead of City's first friendly. Um, this is what he had to say about the move. With Marcelo being so demanding and so consistent in the way that he wants us to work, coming here it's made it a lot easier for me. Obviously, I still don't really know much Spanish, but um, you know, I try my best to understand everything. And you know, Pep is very demanding. He's you know one of the best managers in the world. So you know, anything that he asks of me, I'll make sure that I go out of my way to do it. So um, I think training-wise, you know, the standards unbelievable. The players are unbelievable, and you know, I'm looking forward to getting started. The only team I was ever really going to join was City. Obviously, I knew there was a lot of talk about other teams being interested, but. As soon as you know, City showed interest in me, and you know the manager that I have, and the players that I have, and you know the last few seasons I've had, there was only one team I was ever wanting to join, and that was City. Richard, what do you make of uh, Phillips so far? He's played uh, a little bit in midfield, a little bit in defence in the games. He, like, he's he's coming in as a, somebody who has you know was injured for a lot of last season, but he has worked with Marcelo Bielsa. It's it's an interesting one, isn't it? Yeah, I think um, just that that versatility alone. I mean, I, I wouldn't. I don't think I'd expect to see him playing much defence through the season. I think he is there as a midfielder, it's like his primary position. But I think it, just to be signing a, a midfielder that Pep is already happy to do that with or test that out, like suggest that Pep like has plans for him because he he likes to do that with players and a midfielder that. I mean, I'm not sure there's like higher praise for a midfielder from Pep than Pep thinking that they can play in defence. You know what I mean? Like it's it's like a um, a pretty seasoned transition for Pep midfielders. Um, it's I think it's a really astute signing. He's um, you know he's not sort of cost to the earth in mega like terms or in yeah. sort of the, well, the, Leeds, the Leeds were quite uh, Leeds fans that I spoke to were quite uh, shocked at how low the valuation was by their club they thought they could get more for him yeah and that probably comes from how important he was to them like his his value to Leeds in like I say he was obviously injured a lot last season but they're clearly going to be a worse team without him um, and I think he he does improve City I think he improves our options um, he's, I think he'd probably know himself that he's not going to come in and, uh, and be dislodging Rodri immediately or anything like that. But then again, because of the five subs rule, that doesn't mean that he's coming in to be a bench warmer or to not play a lot of football. Um, that'll just be the reality of the situation. But a World Cup year, I'm sure he'll, he'll be coming here expecting to be able to continue to stake his place for England. So I think there's there's loads about it that makes it um, a a really interesting, and like I say, I think quite an astute signing. It obviously doesn't carry necessarily the same excitement as some of the other signings, uh, but I, th- I still think it's a really, really good one. Yeah. Um, Richard mentioned it there, Kieran. Um, do you actually think he might play alongside Rodri more than we expect? Uh, y- yes, he could do. Um, you, don't, you don't seem so sure, though. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's, that's, possi- that's possibly uh, the yong- longest yes we've ever had on the show. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, he, he he could. I reckon in some of the more um, maybe some of the more physical away games um, where we need a little bit of um, presence in midfield, uh, this sort of double pivot setup could uh, could work. Um, to get him minutes in there and to get him settled, I mean, why not? You know, set him up alongside 
Rodri, who, who, as we know by now, is a safe pair of hands in midfield and is turning into a real world-class centre midfielder. So uh, Phillips alongside him there. Um, it feels as if it's going to be a rarity to see Phillips on his own without R- Rodri. Um, so, I mean, maybe the only, one of the only ways you're going to get to bet him in is you, if you do play him along, alongside him. I, I've just uh, my, my thinking with it, though, is that I like as, as good as Rodri is, I think Phillips, from what I've seen of him, is more mobile than him. So he, like, he's more likely to play the role of being able to get up and down the pitch and, and, and do a little bit more of the attacking stuff that maybe Rodri doesn't do and just kind of... Rodri does a lot more of the anchoring stuff that maybe Phillips might not do. You yeah, what I mean? from what I've seen, he's he seems to be m- much more of a traditional box to box midfielder in that in that vein, um, and yeah, he does seem to have. Well, I mean, we we had the famous nickname, didn't we? Um, HMS Plodry. Um, you know, so we we we're aware that Rodri isn't the fastest. So yeah, you know, you're totally right. Phillips does seem to have. Um, he's a bit more sprightly and a bit more um, has the legs. So that energy in midfield, yeah, I don't see why not. Um, it's just, it's almost because the false nine is not a thing so much anymore. It, it feels like Haaland's almost guaranteed to start or we're guaranteed to start with a nine. Um, so you wonder where this extra place is going to go to. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's where Phillips might miss out, unfortunately. But then again, Richard talked about the five subs thing. So, I mean, we could see plenty, but it's going to be just an exciting thing to see what way Pep operates the five subs. We're in a very lucky position in that you know, our bench is full of unbelievable players as well. So we'll see how he rotates. Yeah, he'll bring on uh, precisely Ilkay Gundogan after, uh, <laughs> what was it, 70 minutes? <laughs> yeah. It can work out sometimes all right, that though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, a couple of players have been talking about Guardiola this preseason as well. Uh, we heard it from Phillips a moment ago, but uh, Haaland was also asked about his early impressions of training. This is what he said. Yeah, I don't want to, to speak too much about uh, about Dortmund, but... Uh, of course, uh, Guardiola's be crazy, and uh, and I like that. So, uh, so uh, it's gonna be fun. And of course, one week I cannot tell too much about this. Uh, but uh, I've been training good, and uh, I'm ready. I'm ready for what's next. And then, in a mix zone ahead of the first game, uh, Rodri discussed some changes in Guardiola as well. This is what he said. He's not the same coach uh, every year. He's he's kind of uh, try to improve, uh, try to adapt uh, to because the game changed every year. The, and that's that's the key to to never try to stop uh, learning, never try to stop improving. And yeah, I think it's been sensational, like all the team. Even though we we there's some some years better, some years a little bit not that better, but every year we achieve uh, trophies, and that shows the the hunger of, of the coach of the of the club and the players. So I hope this year uh, we do the same the same way, the the same ambition, and let's see. If we got something, but, uh, the, the ambition is there and the, the quality and the effort is going to be there for, for the, all the season. I mean, first things first, before we get into Guardiola, how smooth is Rodri's voice? I mean, like, I, 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 it takes me by surprise every time, but that man could read me bedtime stories. <laughs> 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 do you know what I mean? It's just like, it's just, it's really smooth. Um, Richard, what do you make of what they've said there about uh, Guardiola? Because um, it, it is interesting to hear Rodri say that he's not the same coach every year. Yeah, it is. It's, it's fascinating, and it's a it's a lovely little window into like what makes him successful and, and why the players can stay so engaged with him. Um, and, and maybe like a, a site of 
why he's been able to stay so much, not part of why he's been able to stay so much longer at City than his previous two clubs, um, because he's clearly evolving as a manager. And what's really interesting about it is like, everybody wants to fit Pep into this little box of like, he can't change and his philosophy is so set and he insists on it and sort of won't bend for anybody. And like, that isn't made up. He sort of says it himself, but that doesn't mean that there aren't changes that can be made within it. Like City have become, um, like during the um, the lockdown season, were a much more solid defensive team and it was sort of maybe slightly less dynamic than some of the previous success, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't built on the same foundations. And so you can imagine that if he's having to adapt the team's play, then of course, as he gets older and matures, like he's still this absolutely mad obsessive, but you would expect a... Um, a different approach and like managers who are successful long-term and have the kind of longevity that he's had aren't usually the same at this point in their career as, as when they started out. And it's just, it's an incredible uh, testament to him that he is maintaining the levels of success that he is whilst, whilst being able to change and adapt. And it's like Rodri said, like he sort of, I uh, forget his exact wording, but alluded to like the game changes every year. So part of that change has to come because Pep has such foresight and sort of sees ahead of everything and he's always ahead of the curve. Like he's not just reacting to change, he's almost dictating how everybody else has to change around him. And it's, um, yeah. He just, bends the universe to his will, is what you're saying. The, the more <laughs> succinct and scientifically correct way of saying what I wanted to, yeah. Yeah, he's a, <laughs> he's a superhero villain, is what he is. That's the, uh, that, that, it just, just imposes his will on everybody else. Um, Karen, does it feel like he's, he's made a home here more than maybe he expected himself to? Yes. Um, there's a quicker yes for you, David. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> He certainly stayed longer than uh, I expected him to, and you know, presumably more than than most of us did, because it was it was on. We were under the assumption at the start, weren't we, that um, Guardiola stays at a club for three years and then moves on. And where are we now? Is, is this the start of his seventh? Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, like it just seems like he's bedded into Manchester. He loves it here. Um. He really seems to get City more and more. Um, and he, but he's been given carte blanche to kind of create the club in his, you know, in in his mould. Um, and I love the fact that uh, like two seasons ago he said, or was it last summer actually? He said we need to shake, we need to shake and get rid of you know certain players and and bring in some fresh blood. It didn't really happen last season. Um, and now he still went and won the league anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Uh, and now it feels as if we actually have had the shake. Um, so certainly, if he's not planning to stay around, it seems a bit strange that you know we've entered into this. It feels like a very transitional new era uh, with lots of new players, a really exciting you know new way of playing again after two years under the sort of false nine without a striker. Um, so. You know, it makes you feel as if he really is at home here, and you know, it feels like he's creating a, a bit of a dynasty. 
Yeah, yeah. Kieran's alluded to it there, Richard, and this is a horrible question, so I'm sorry about this. And it's it's very early to say. Um, but with the changes that have gone through City this summer and the way Guardiola's been talking and, and the way the players are talking about him, does it maybe make you feel a little bit more confident that he could sign a new deal? Because he is going into the final year of his contract this season. Yeah, I mean, my, my concern is that I, and this isn't based on anything, but I kind of thought that if he was going to extend, he'd have done it by now. I thought maybe that announcement would come at, um, at the end of last yeah, season. And the last announcement, I, though, was was middle of the of the final season of his of his deal. Yeah, that's true. But then, I guess at that point, I wasn't expecting him to extend because it looked like maybe things had gone a bit stale. And clearly, now it doesn't feel like that. Um, and obviously, like in hindsight, that was a, a silly thing to believe anyway. Um, but the yeah, I don't know. Um, I think the Haaland signing, more than anything, gave me a lot of confidence that he would extend. And there's always this thing where, no matter how much he plays it cool about it, he must, he must be desperate to win the Champions League at City. And I've always thought like that might be, once he does that, that might be sort of the, the a natural end point for him. Um, so, yeah, I guess... Yeah, like natural pessimism is impacting my judgment here. There's a lot of reasons for him to stay. He's clearly happy in Manchester. There's a lot still to do um, in, in terms of winning the Champions League um, and and like winning the league again with a, a refreshed team and a really different sort of squad to what he's done it with before. So uh, I'm just going to be positive and say, yeah, he's good, definitely going to extend. Right, that's him off at the end of the season then. Um, <laughs> pre-season uh, hasn't been perfect though. Uh, Gundogan, Foden and Stones didn't meet the USA's entry requirements based on their COVID vaccinations and so couldn't go on the tour. Uh, Eric Laporte has stayed at home as well to continue his recovery from surgery. Here's what Guardiola said in a uh, press conference about the missing players. I would like, I would like to, to be here because since our... The second season here in Man City, when we, we finished 100 points, that's the only precision that we were all together from the day one. Since then, always is arrived for, for players, and after a few weeks, another ones, and, and we started the season with incredible problems, and that's why we drop every season at the beginning many, many points. In this season, I was, oh, maybe we'll be all together, but... Uh, Due to the personal situation for these three players and other situations for the other ones, we cannot be together and of course we are delayed. But it's what it is and we're going to move forward today. You have to adapt before the precisions every, you know, we're three, four, five weeks all together. Now it's over with a Euro Cup, World Cup and many competitions. So it's, the players need rest after the tough, tough seasons. And, uh, but they are fit, they are training with uh, under-23 in Croatia and when they come back, uh, yeah, they will join us and they will be fine. Kieran, are you a little bit concerned about, like, those are, those are three fairly key players that, they couldn't, that couldn't go on the, the, the season tour because of uh, a personal situation. Laporte, again, a little bit of a different situation. Um, are you concerned it could affect the, the, the prep for the season and the fact that they could get off to a, a slow start like they did last year? Um, uh, I I'm sort of concerned for the, I'm sort of concerned for those three players, um, because they had a chance in America to impress Guardiola and show you know their how ready they were and you know we could have seen that they were up for it or that they were looking in in good neck, um, and for whatever personal decisions that they've made, um, 
you know, they've sort of suffered personally. So like he's not been able to see them. And, you know, probably you imagine that when it comes to making his decisions for the um, early season team sheets, he's probably not going to think of those three players. Do you know what I mean? Um, I, I'm not too concerned about City's own, because um, I think our, our squad is deep enough. And I think, um, yeah, I think we've been enough other players, but just for those three specifically, um, it's probably a bit sad on them. Do you remember John Stones last year? I mean, the season beforehand, Stones and Diaz had, had, had an unbelievable, you know, dynamic duo partnership. And the start of last season, he just it felt as if Laporte was just the flavour of the month again, and Stones didn't really play that much. Um, and you know, instead of hitting the ground running, now he's he's been missing in action, and yeah. that that would concern me a little bit. That Guardiola's not going to choose to start him um, when you know he's not been able to see him, and he's been in Croatia with under twenty threes. It's just it's all a bit it's all a bit sad, really, isn't it? And, and frustrating. Um, but I mean, it's you know it's a free country, so uh, the players can choose whatever they want. It's just it's unfortunate that it's hampered their own preparation. I think. Yeah, Richard, just on the on the centre backs though, in in that case, with Stones being a few weeks behind, maybe, and you know Laporte still recovering from his injury, and the preseason that Ake's had, it kind of opens the door for him to to to. He isn't going to nail down a first team place. He's not going to be a first team regular for City, surely. But he is going to get a chance at the start of this season. Do you think? Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I mean, I couldn't. Um, I, I don't think I could answer uh, previously the, the previous question any better than Kieran did. But I, b- before he said it, I sort of had the same thing in mind about Stones. Like he seems the one who could miss out most as a result of not being uh, available for the preseason tour. And and Ake is the obvious beneficiary of that. And I think like Stones is throughout his time at City, his position has felt fairly transient. Like not as in might leave the 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 club or anything, but like there's been times when he's been a really clear first choice alongside like at one point company, and then he got injured, um, and as Kira said, alongside Diaz, and not just like first choice at any random point in in sort of the Guardiola era, but first choice at points when City have been as good as they've ever been, and like he's been a really key part of that, and then all of a sudden. He takes these dips out of the team, and it's not just pre-season for um, for Aki. He was really good in towards the end of last season when he got a lot more chances. That consistency and run free of injuries did him the world of good. And you say he's not going to be a first teamer or you know a, a regular first choice, but City, if City play as many games as they want to in a season, then they have to rotate and there'll be games when they mix up the tactics and occasionally play three centre-backs. And that's a way in for him. Like he's okay. He's not better than Diaz or Laporte at his best. And he's probably, he's not better than Stones at his best, but there definitely seems to be something around like, no matter how good John Stones gets, there's always a point at which he's the player that can, that can make way. Um, and yeah, I think it's. I think it could be really damaging for him that he's he's not been able to go on the tour because he's just not had a chance to um, to impress on the pitch at all. And yeah, it, it feels unfair and Aki for me to focus that answer mostly on why Stones won't get in rather than why Aki will. But it's. I think that's sort of the nature of it that Aki's there to take advantage of 
um, of the decisions that Stones has made. And, and I will have no problem seeing Aki in that team next season, which wouldn't really have been how I felt at the start of last season. He always felt like I didn't particularly want him there, if I'm honest, but I was really happy with what we saw from him at the end of last season and, and good on him if he gets a few more starts this season. Yeah. Um, Kieran, I bet you're glad he's stayed now after the interest from Chelsea. We'll come on to the players who, le- who have left in a minute, but but Ake was one that could have left and didn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Stones is kind of uh, isn't as prepared as the others and Laporte is still recovering from injury. It's Yeah, it's vital that we've kept Ake and it didn't look as if we were going to you know, go in for a, a stellar kind of superstar hot stuff centre-back either. It was going to be somebody you know, of his ilk and calibre that would be happy to be a squad player rotated in and out. Um, so, yeah, why look for another Ake-esque player when we have Ake there? Um, yeah, no, I'm glad he said it. Richard, you know, singing his praises there has reminded me that towards the end of the season, we did have a, a player on our hands and um, he was he was dead reliable and, you know, he looks good. And uh, uh, like many of our new signings, they take a while to bed in and, you know, he could seize this by uh, by the scruff of the neck now, working with uh, Diaz if Laporte and Stones aren't to be with us for a while at the start of the season. So, yeah, let's good luck to him, see what happens. Um, great player, great lad, and let's, let's see if he can kick on. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players, and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. Statcity.co.uk Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium and under every manager. Just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk Please give us your backing. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. As we said, there's not just been players arriving this summer. We've had a summer of change and uh, said goodbye to some key names from recent seasons. Uh, here's Guardiola speaking before the first friendly about the departures. So the impact of these three players in the last uh, my years since I am here have been massive. So we're going to miss incredible people and uh, exceptional players, but for different circumstances... Uh, they move on from Chelsea and Arsenal to incredible clubs and the success and the happiness that they will have there uh, will be ours. So on myself and I think on behalf of the club, uh, our gratitude for the effort, for how they behave on and off the pitch. And uh, and yeah, it was, was nice yesterday with Alex uh, because we could say bye properly unfortunately with Rahim and, and Gabriel could not, not could not do it because it was the summer time but yesterday in dinner together we could say bye to him and move on to Arsenal and then at the same time Carl Walker spoke about uh, the changes to the dressing room we've lost you know two big characters in the dressing room with Fernandinho and Raz but um, you know me Kevin Rubin Gundo 
Rodri, um, the likes of Nathan Ake, Jack Grealish, we all have to step up and we all have to be accounted for and show the, the new players that are coming into this group of lads uh, what it's all about, our philosophy. And the bars that we set over the number of years, you know, it's very high and we just have to make sure that we maintain that level when these experienced players have gone. Richard, what are your thoughts on the uh, outgoing business? Because it's uh, it's been a lot more, there's been a lot more upheaval this summer than there has in most. Yeah, and it's this really odd sort of conflict between feeling a little bit sad to varying degrees, but a little bit sad about all of them. And also that sort of sense that all of them are probably right. Like we've got fair deals for Jesus, Zinchenko and Sterling. And yeah, but they've all contributed really, really well and been parts of just the most amazing success and all had really big moments within it. Um, And I think all pretty likeable players and and really likeable on the pitch. So it's a real shame to see them go, but like Sterling, 45 million for a player who the team probably, and you know, like I've, I've, I've maybe been Sterling's biggest fan on this podcast since he signed, but like it feels a bit like the team has probably moved past him and they're never going to be able to guarantee him the, the starts that his talent deserves. So £45 million for that player with a year left on his contract is amazing. Um, Jesus signed as a striker. We've spent two seasons accepting that we don't have a striker despite Jesus being there. I think for all his talent and effort and like really, really like the guy, but that tells its own story. And then there's, you know, Sinchenko, God bless him, has spent so long playing out of his natural position that um, like he's been a really good left-back for the, the vast, vast majority of games that he's played there. He's done a really solid job and it feels like he stepped up above himself to be able to make it at City. Um, and he's a, he's a really lovely success story because he turned down chances to leave. And it, he's probably the one that I feel saddest about for that for that story, really. Um but I think the club have done really good business with them. That's the that's the really nice flip side about it. Yeah, um, the I mean the interesting thing in all of this, Karen, is uh, Sterling and Zinchenko both played a part in in turning last season's final day from a, a disaster into into a triumph. And, I know. Yeah. Like, and suddenly, and, but it's still it's it's quite hard to disagree with anything Rich has just said there. Yeah, you know what? I was thinking if there's going to be a follow up question, I don't know how I could add anything. Um, it was. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, when you think about that final day and how much Sterling, that ball from Sterling from the right and then uh, Zinchenko's passing to Rodri from the left, um, just both subs who changed the game and then Gundogan as well. It's just, it's so mad to think how fresh in the memory that day is to now two massive, massive parts of that gone. And then watching, I mean, it properly, properly upset me watching... um, Zinchenko with the Ukraine flag around the Premier League trophy um, and the tears and the support that the rest of the players and all the fans were giving him. Um, it was such an unbelievable moment to see. And I mean, I don't think he knew it was a goodbye or that we knew it was a goodbye, but now it feels like what what a beautiful, fitting moment that was. When you think that he, um, in his first season winning the Premier League, tipped over the trophy off the pedestal. Do you remember oh, he that? did, yeah. <laughs> uh, to then, you know, have the confidence after what it must be his, what, fourth Premier League trophy um, for it to be wrapped around uh, with his, you know, the, his war-torn, war-torn country's flag um, in his last appearance when he set up the equalising goal in a mad game. Uh, you know, what a fitting way to leave. But 
and miss the kid definitely um but do you know what i mean he, he like he made 15 appearances in the premier league last season only 10 starts um so you know somebody who's the captain of their country who's an unbelievable talent who's grown and developed as a player and as a man over the past few years i mean it's just it's the right time to go and he's going to be an unbelievable success at arsenal i think um it, it's going to be really nice watching him from afar um how he progresses and grows at that club, um, just as long as he doesn't do it against us, I suppose. But yeah, uh, yeah no, great player. Yeah. Now we've spent three quarters of an hour uh, dissecting preseason and the stories from it, so I can already tell this is going to be one of our longest podcasts to start with because I'm not back in the swing of things yet and can't quite time things. So uh, brace <laughs> yourselves, strap yourselves in. There's a lot more to come. Um, pretty much straight after the City's 3-2 win over Aston Villa on the final day of last season, we had our Blue Moon podcast live. If truth be told, we're all still a little bit punch drunk after the game, so we hadn't really had chance to digest what had happened. Over the summer, we've been thinking. Manchester City probably have a shout as being the team involved in the most batshit insane final day of the season matches in the Premier League era. So what better way to kick off the new campaign than by looking at how some of the previous ones have ended? Here's Sam Roscoe to do it. The way the match unfolded with Villa last May was mad. When you play 90 minutes with this emotion that is close to be champion, but this is the most difficult game to win. With this game being played is completely different than the other ones. It was eerily similar to the way City won the title 10 years earlier. I think that is a crazy finish for a crazy season. I have never seen a final like this. The best team won the title, the team that played the best football. But the 3-2 wins over both Aston Villa and QPR are possibly the most famous of City's final days of the season. For better and for worse, there are some equally as daft matches that neutrals may forget. 100 points. So still I cannot believe it, so Premier League 100 points. That's Guardiola in 2018, at the end of his second season with City. It had been an awful game at Southampton, which neither side looked like winning. Then Gabriel Jesus scored with a couple of seconds left. Our rhythm was not so high because, of course, last week we trained not too much and our mind... You know, it's already over, but okay, during the game we, we were focused and at the end the excellent pass from Kevin and the amazing finishing from Gabriel make the difference and and uh, achieve that, that record. So 100 points is a lot. City were already champions for that trip to St Mary's. On other final days, City have claimed the title, but they've all been pretty routine, like in 2014 against West Ham or 2019 at Brighton. Some of the other madness has been less positive. There was a, a memory of Steve Lomas keeping the ball in the corner to waste time and run the clock down, and then Niall Quinn running down the touchline and telling him that they needed a score. That's former City goalkeeper David James. Don't worry, we'll be coming back to him again later on. But first, that's his memory of playing for Liverpool and Main Road on the final day in 1996. Ahead of it, City were in the bottom three on goal difference. Southampton and Coventry were above them, level on points, and Sheffield Wednesday were two points clear. One of the four would be relegated. Mobile phones were about, but not to the same levels as they are today. And But somehow we were getting information was being fed to the manager to get fed onto the pitch that a draw was enough for us because I remember you know everyone's seen the Lomi Stevie Lomas sort of killing time on the on the touchline trying to trying to run the clock down when the reality was we needed to score another goal we needed to win the game to stay up 
So it was. it's all still to this day, like I say, I, I can't tell you exactly what happened, how it happened or why it happened, but it was... It was horrific. That's Kit Simons, who scored City's equaliser that afternoon. You try and stay focused and things like this, but, you know, I've equalised and it does flash through your mind, you know. this I, I could have been sort of like the hero on the final day that, you know, my goal had, had kept City in the Premier League. Sheffield Wednesday drew and so couldn't have been caught, but Southampton and Coventry's game also ended level meaning City's 2-2 at Main Road kept the table exactly as it was. One of the games, I think it was a Coventry one, was a delayed kickoff. So we're sitting in the tunnel at Main Road, not knowing if we're up or down, and we're still waiting to hear the, the final results. It felt like an eternity. And then obviously we got the news that, um, that yeah, that the result hadn't gone our way and, and we were relegated. Now, I said that we'd come back to David James, and it's that time, because in 2005, City's final day of the season ended in absolute lunacy. They were playing Middlesbrough at the City of Manchester Stadium. A win would take them into the UEFA Cup, but anything less, and Borough would qualify instead. With a few minutes left, the score was 1-1. Sound a bench, Tim Flowers went, about 10 minutes left, went, go get warmed up. I'm thinking he can't just be putting me on for like five minutes to say like, you know, thanks for coming sort of thing. That's Nicky Weaver. He was City's substitute goalkeeper that afternoon. And then I saw the kit man pull out an outfield shirt with number one James on it. Next minute I saw Jamo running over, taking his top off, putting his thing on. Claudio Reina come off and I've gone on. So it was weird because Jamo was ran over, so everyone looked like he was coming off. Claudio's come off, I've run into the goal, Jamo's ran up front and it, it wasn't just for like two minutes, it was probably... But the time injury time was, it was probably the best part of 10 minutes. David James, unsurprisingly, says he didn't have much time to prepare. Chappie at half-time went to me, got your kit printed. I'm like, what do you mean? And he went, you know, you might be going up front. Or go, no, going on outfield. And I was like, whatever. And, and dismissed it straight away. Because no one else had told me anything about it. The board goes up. I hadn't even seen Nicky getting warmed up. I was so in the game that I hadn't seen him getting warmed up. And uh, when I looked over and I saw him stood there, I was thinking, hang on a minute. And I sort of ran towards it and then I could see my shirt. James admits that he felt a bit out of his depth. I'd literally had no one telling me what to do. So I thought I'll just sort of go up there and try and win headers. Yeah, I mean, it, it, was, it was surreal. It's probably an understatement because, as I say, I, I'm not, I wasn't an outfield player. I mean, I could score goals in training, granted. But had the manager at some point said, J-Mo, you might be going out front tomorrow. I would have done some, uh, a little bit of practice. I, re- I reckon I would have stayed out for an extra hour, working on my touch, working on my passing, working all the things that let me down on the, on the day. Deep into stoppage time, City were given a penalty for handball and they had the chance to win it from the spot. Robbie Fowler stepped up and missed. That isn't the only final day nonsense against Middlesbrough either. Three years later, City would go to the Riverside Stadium and lose 8-1. Michael Ball played for City that afternoon. Our heads just sort of went down that we've just had a massive opportunity to finish the season. Uh, Not where we wanted to be, but still an opportunity to play in Europe next season and we blew it. The result wouldn't actually affect City's chances of playing in the UEFA Cup. They were going for a place via the Fair Play League. 
but Richard Dunn had been sent off early on and the fans were protesting in the stands because of rumours manager Sven-Goran Eriksson was to be sacked. If you look back at every goal, well, besides the one I made a, a, a horrendous mistake for, but a lot of their goals were wonder goals. You know, you're thinking, these shoots have got no chance against our keeper and next minute goes top corner and you're just thinking, it's just one of these days and nothing's falling for us and every shot middles were hard but basically going in the net. It was, and still is, City's worst ever Premier League defeat. Very embarrassing walking off the pitch with the result it was. We sat in the changing room, pretty quiet. Sven, as he did, no matter what the result was, always comes round and shakes everybody's hands and thanks them for the effort. And uh, someone whispered in his ear that I think we've made Europe. So it was sort of, while really embarrassing coming home with that defeat, um, that at least we've achieved something, something small. Some people have suggested that the players downed tools on the final day as a protest. Nobody has ever confirmed that, so it could just be a convenient excuse for a terrible performance. Ericsson told us it was a difficult time in his career. As soon as it came south to other people in the club and the players and the staff, and at the end the fans knew it as well, or they suspected it, that it became very difficult. It shouldn't have happened uh, that that came out. He could have sacked me at the end of the season, but he should never have letting us suspect that that would happen. That 8 1 loss was Sven's final match with the club. There's been more ludicrous final days for City outside the Premier League, too. City went down to the third tier in 1998, despite beating Stoke 5 2 on the last day. Promotion at Ewood Park in the year 2000 came courtesy of a 4 1 win but only after Blackburn had battered City for an hour, hitting the post and the bar four times in total. Back in 1989, City needed an equaliser in the final minutes against Bradford to go up. Whether it's good or bad, it seems you can always count on Manchester City for entertainment value on the final day of the season. Hi there, this is Joe Royal speaking. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast and carry on doing so. Please support the show by becoming a backer. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. That was Sam Roscoe looking at some of City's madness on the final day. Um, I mean, let's let's start with last season, Richard. Um, have, you, have you managed to kind of digest what's happened now over the last couple of months? Yeah, I mean, just what? What a finale. Like from that, I thought I would never feel the low of 2012 again, feeling like you'd blown it. And maybe it wasn't quite that low because it wasn't United and it wasn't, you know, we've won leagues since then. And um, 2012 was always going to be um, almost, <laughs> almost unique. But this was, it's like the closest we're ever going to get to it. Um, and just the insanity of those five minutes. Like the, the momentum shift was just extraordinary and I'll, I'll never I'll, I'll never forget like I was going to say I'll never forget the noise in the stadium after the third goal but that isn't quite what I mean because it I couldn't really hear the noise it just turned to white noise just like ringing in my ears um the most phenomenal sound um of just pure pure joy and it, it doesn't go away like whenever you watch it um 
then watch it back, which I have done many times and trained my nearly two-year-old to shout goal at the TV and, um, and to, to cheer along with it. Um, it's, it's just amazing. And it will always have that QPR type thing of like, yes, it sinks in, but you always watch it back and have that feeling of, hang on, like what, what if they don't do it? <laughs> and like, you know, they're going to, but there's still that moment watching the highlights where it's proper goosebumpy of, oh God, uh, they've blown it here and just reliving it in that way. Yeah. Kieran, be honest, how many times have you watched it? Um, I am going to be honest here, David, not that many times. Um, I watched it obviously about like three or four times when I got in that night uh, and then like three or four times the next day because, you know, to just relive the madness. But because I was there and I, w- I witnessed it live uh, and it's still sort of, sort of fresh in the memory too, I've just been kind of living the, the living the vignette of the day out in my own memory as opposed to like having to watch it over and over again because... I just love the real life version of it so much and it's still fresh in my head that I'm not needing to turn to the I'm not needing to turn to the video of it that often. Does that make sense at all? Yeah. Um I've just like I wasn't at the Aguero game I've said before in this podcast. Um so to be there, like it was absolutely insane. It is it was indescribable. Afterwards, I just kept saying that was unreal this is unreal because I couldn't like, I couldn't enunciate or kind of like vocalize the words that I wanted to say because it just was unreal. Like it was like it, like a fantasy. It was mental. Um, but like I watched the highlights back just once because I knew it was coming on the, the podcast tonight. Um, but Richard talking about the noise there, it's really nice watching back and hearing the noise because the noise for all three goals is different. It gets progressively louder, you know, because the first one just feels a bit like not a consolation per se, but just, you know, you've got a slight bit of hope and then the equalizer comes and it's like, Oh my God, we're going to do this. And then the third one, it's just the biggest release. And it was such a mess. Everybody was everywhere. Um, Oh God. Like I, I'm just getting goosebumps talking about it. It was absolutely wonderful. I loved it so much. But um, yeah, no, I've, I've not felt the need to watch it that back so much because just living it there in the moment was so amazing. Uh, and I saw that actually Phil Foden was interviewed and he said he hasn't watched it back at all yet. Um, so I don't know just if, if he felt that he was sort of there in the moment so much that he didn't need to, but it's an interesting one. Yeah, if an English teacher can't come up with the words to describe something, then there's no hope for the rest of us. Is there? Um, it was unreal. Yeah. Um, the reason City are in the Community Shield this weekend is because they won that game. Uh, I joked about it at the start of the show, Richard, that the quintuple is on. Um, do you care about this result? And like, like there's, there's, there's a, there is something in that um, City managers seem to, they care about it when they win it, don't they? If you know what I mean. Yeah, I wonder if part of that is like the, um, the the European manager angle, like this type of game means a bit more on the continent than it tends to here, I think. Um, and maybe sort of like Pep brings a bit of that with him. It's a, do I care about the result? Like, yes, because I'd rather we win it. And I feel that a bit more, well, not a fair deal more than I did about like say the Bayern Munich game for example which I didn't watch I will be watching this game but in terms of like the trophy angle of it it's 
no, I don't care about the community field as such. Like it is, it is a glorified friendly, and I do feel that when whether we win it or not. Um, but of course, it's nice to get back into the habit of winning early doors, particularly you know against Liverpool. But um, I can hand on heart say that if they were to lose it, um, it it won't ruin my day and uh, it won't eat into too much of my Saturday evening lamenting over it I don't think yeah must be different for you though Kieran a City fan uh, living in Liverpool yes it is um, although not so much when uh, it's out of term time <laughs> when I'm in school I have to listen to an awful lot of abuse from uh, from little Sky's teenagers or Sky's work, work colleagues uh, yeah I get an awful rinsing here and there um, but yeah no I like I, as Richard said I just it'll be nice to get back into the habit of winning I also think that the charity sheet or the community shield is a really aesthetically pleasing trophy to win you know when they hold it when they hold it up with this big chunky trophy um and i always like seeing it that way but i mean that shows the level of uh care that i have for it if i'm talking about the actual aesthetics of the trophy itself and winning it and yeah. um, it's nice to stop liverpool winning anything of course because <laughs> when you know when they do win suddenly they've invented uh trophy trophies again or whatever like um it was that tweet the other day from dave um your mate who runs a coffee shop yes yeah yeah he, he runs idle hands where we do yes, uh, yes, podcast lines. Yeah. yeah yeah he's amazing uh he tweeted oh like on last last week he tweeted uh only a week now t- until we find out whether the charity shield is a real trophy or not <laughs> <laughs> every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast, facebook.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. I'm thinking though, Richard, after only two preseason games, uh, this this is maybe an exercise in fitness. But equally, um, I, I'm like we hear from behind the scenes, like like Guardiola wants to win it and he wants to, like he, he, he takes it quite seriously. I, I don't know. Like, I have issues with even like how to pitch my answers to this question because I don't want to sound like it doesn't matter, but... It, it just is not that important. Like the exercise no, it, and fitness to me and the, the test of um, tactics and, you know, like obviously if Haaland plays, for example, and scores, like that would be really cool and really exciting and will get me like really in the mood for the season starting proper. But I guess, I mean, even this feels different this season with the change in rules. But my view of it has always been that any game where you can make six substitutes isn't a proper competitive game, but that's not that different to what the league's going to be anymore, to be fair. Yeah. If Haaland scores, would it be a, a debut goal? 
Uh, no, that was against Bayern Munich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, the other thing, uh, Kieran, I mean, talking about an exercise in fitness, we talked before about Foden, Stones and Gundogan after missing the tour. This could be an opportunity for them to get some time on the field and actually play in a game, whether it's from the bench or, or, or from the start. Um, and the same for, for a couple of players that, that impressed on the tour that we that we maybe didn't talk about in the, in the first part properly, um, or even at all in the case of... Of uh, someone like Josh Wilson Esbrandt. Um like uh, where where do you see the team selection being for this? Is it a mixture of, of young and, and experience, or is it is it kind of the team that or close to the team that you want to see against West Ham? Uh, close to the team I want to see against West Ham. I think we need to start thinking. You know, preseason's over. Let's raise the curtain for the new season and let's actual actually. Um, shake some of the ring rust from over the summer off um, and actually get ready and prepare to see what the first 11 for next week's going to look like. Um, that's the way I'd be looking at it. But it's an interesting one. I mean, um, Foden, Stones and Gundogan, did you see they were at, they were like the guests at the premiere of that Together film documentary or whatever? Yeah, it's almost was like, <laughs> Oh, were you? Yeah. yeah. Um, I felt that maybe you know I don't know whether it was a punishment or whether they'd been set out to work you know because they'd uh, they'd not been there. It was very interesting that it was those three players you know. But um, what was it like? Um, it, I mean, I, I'm a little bit annoyed that uh, absolutely everything was syndicated apart from the audio of those interviews because I, I was sitting there thinking actually these are quite interesting. I've run these in the podcast this week, um, and then they weren't recorded, so like <laughs> they just don't exist. <laughs> Oh right, okay. But um, so, you know, it was a good why night. Did you have to give me the answer from a podcast perspective, <laughs> <laughs> because I mean, there was there was not really a lot else. You 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 know what they said, and you heard what you saw what they said. Uh, all right. Oh, were you not watching the film? No. Yeah, the film was good. I didn't think you were asking about that though, because you can watch it now. It's live. All right. No, I don't have that city plus. I'm a Patreon backer of the show now. You know. Yeah. No, I saw that come through. Thanks for that. <laughs> I like, uh, I like that you won't subscribe to City's official uh, video channel, but you'll give us a couple of quid for doing the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but Josh Wilson, that's brand. Uh, yeah, he did He did do well in America, didn't he? Um, I mean, if Kukurea comes in, which we don't know whether he's going to or not, it, it'll set that kid's development back because he, he did look pretty good. But, um, you know, Samuel Odozi scored a few goals last season, didn't he? In pre- well, last year in pre-season. And, um, it looks like he's on his way out. So, uh, never to be thought of again. So you, you can never judge it. But actually, it looks like Esbrand could be the real deal. Um, but yeah, the left back situation is an interesting one. Uh, I really, really, really wanted to sign Kukurea, especially now Zinchenko's gone. Because if it came at the cost of losing him, I was sad about that. Um, but now, I mean, he's moved, so we have to accept it. So having a new, brand new left back um, would be would be pretty good. And having uh, Wilson Esbrand as the sort of understudy would be. Um, would be, couldn't be a, a bad thing, could it? And I, to, I think he's definitely one for the future, perhaps instead of now. Yeah, we. Uh, I'd, I'd rather not go into the 150th season without a left back, though. It's uh, it's it, it <laughs> yeah. seems about about time that they might want to address that situation. But you know, <laughs> who, who am I to argue? Um, so we finished ten pounds short of our best ever total on last season's charity bet, ending the campaign on one thousand three hundred and forty pounds. Uh, we're doing it again this season. We're again raising money for the Man City Fans Food Bank Support Group. They're back again, uh, collecting donations of both food and money outside the Etihad to help the Trussell Trust in Manchester. Uh, they'll be back for the first home game 
of the season uh, against Bournemouth. Uh, William Hill is giving each of us a £10 correct score single. So let's be having your Community Shield guesses. Uh, we will start with you, Richard. What are you going for? Uh, City to win 2 0. 2 0 City win is at 12 to 1 and £120. Uh, I've gone for a 2 all draw. Doesn't matter who wins on penalties because it you know finishes two two after ninety minutes and that'll do us. Uh, that's fourteen to one and one hundred and forty pounds. If I'm right, Kieran, what are you having? I'm going for City to win three two. Absolute goal fest is uh, twenty eight to one and two hundred and eighty pounds. If you are right, and that would kick us off to uh, a wonderful start. Remember, mm-hmm. you got to be eighteen or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on gambling responsibly, take a look at begambleaware.com. Org. Uh, now then, here's a piece of trivia for you. After Saturday, City will have been involved in all of the last four community or charity shield matches that have been contested away from either Wembley or the Millennium Stadium. This year's match is at Leicester's King Power because of a clash with the women's Euros final. In 2012, because of the Olympics, the game was at Villa Park. Then in the final two games before this fixture was moved to the National Stadium, it was held again at Villa Park in 1972 and at Main Road in 1973. And City played in both of them after both the FA Cup winners and Division 1 winners declined the invitation in those years. This weekend will be the 25th time that City have played a game on a neutral venue that isn't Wembley and the 16th different stadium where they've done it too. So in a sort of thing that only the Blue Moon podcast would do, Dan Burke has been taking a look at City's record on neutral grounds that aren't Wembley. Guardiola's record with City on neutral venues that aren't Wembley isn't great. It's play two, lost two, and both were in the Champions League. It was an exceptional, exceptional season for us. Uh, it's a dream uh, being here. Unfortunately, we could not win. It's the first time for m- most of us in this club. And we tried, we could not do it, and work to come back one day. That was the manager speaking after the Champions League final in 2021, when City had lost 1-0 to Chelsea at the Estadio Dragao. Less than 12 months earlier, they'd gone out to Lyon in the quarterfinals, 3-1 at the Estadio Jose Alvalade. After a break, we want to start a competition again, we'll recover, we'll restart again, to try to do it again. Uh, of course, life is... It's how you stand up again and next season we're going to try again. Both of those games have been moved to Portugal because of the coronavirus pandemic. Both also ended up being City's final game of the season. The last time a campaign opened on a neutral venue that wasn't Wembley was in 2012. It was at Villa Park where Roberto Mancini's side beat Chelsea 3-2 in the Community Shield. The manager spoke to City TV afterwards. It's always uh, better to win a trophy. This is another trophy for us and we are happy and we are happy for for uh, everyone, for the supporter, for the club, because uh, I think that uh, you can improve only by the win. Paul Guardiola took charge, City were on a run of eight wins in this type of game. Three had been at Villa Park, that win over Chelsea, plus victories over Ipswich and Everton in the 1981 and 1969 FA Cup semi-finals. Two of them had been at Old Trafford, where City beat Walsall and Luton in the League Cup in 1973 and 1977. One had been at Stamford Bridge, a 6-1 win over Norwich in 1975, again in the League Cup. That run also took in a European trophy success, the 1970 Cup Winners' Cup. We played Gornik, uh, this Polish side, in Vienna. Strange enough, it, I've never seen rain like it. I mean, it's, we won 2-1 in the end, and I think that was the last European final they played 
um, at a, a non-covered stadium. That's the late Neil Young speaking to Sky Sports in the year 2000 about that match. He scored the opening goal after 12 minutes. Francis made the first one, um, he hit a thunderous shot and it rebounded off the goalkeeper's chest. And Malcolm used to say, if someone has a shot, let's have someone in there for the rebounds. And it, it, it worked, it came on, you know. I, it was easy, it was just a little tapping. Young also had a hand in the second goal. I got actually got it off a defender. Malcolm must have been pleased. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was racing through and the goalkeeper came out, just pushed it to one side of the goalkeeper and next thing I was on the deck. He just went for me, yeah. you know, on the penalty. And Franny came up and took the penalty. Actually, if you, if you see it, it's quite lucky. He went to another goalkeeper's body. City held on for a 2-1 win with Gornick pulling one back in the second half. Before Guardiola to get to City's last defeat on a neutral ground away from Wembley, you have to go back to 1966. It was against Everton in the FA Cup sixth round and it was a second replay after the first games had both finished 0-0 at Main Road and Goodison. Everton would be the eventual winners of the cup that year. Here's their forward Derek Temple speaking to their YouTube channel about the game with City which took place at Molyneux. Manchester City started off playing. First 25 minutes I thought they were on drugs because you know they were, they were, they were bombing all over the place. They, they outplayed us. Then we got a free kick uh, on the right and Scotty clipped it over and I was going to head it and I slipped. And as my right foot went from under me, I volleyed it with my left, and it flew in. It was on, you know. Anyway, uh, you know, you talk about your name being on it, possibly. That was City's only defeat on a neutral ground that wasn't Wembley in 15 matches, and a run that stretched nearly 80 years from 1933 to 2012. In fact, of their 24 games in this very specific category, City have only actually lost six, winning the other 18. However, there is an unwanted record that could be on the horizon for Guardiola this weekend. No City manager has ever lost three times on a non-Wembley neutral ground. Pep will become the first if he loses to Liverpool at the King Power on Saturday. The bright side is that because it's such a specific record, we're probably the only people that would have noticed. Hi, my name is Uwe Ressler, former Manchester City player. You listen to the Blue Moon podcast. This is the Blue Moon podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. That was Dan Burke taking a look at City's record on some neutral grounds that are not the National Stadium. And uh, normally at the end of the show, we'd squeeze in some questions from the audience. But this being the first episode of the new season, we're yet to get any questions. So get them sent in for next week. You can tweet us at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email us by going to the website and filling in the form there. The address is bluemoonpodcast.com. And so instead to finish this week's show, uh, I want to get a sort of uh, quick fire answer from you. No more than one sentence from both of you on uh, the quickfire questions uh, so Kieran we will start with you um, who will win the title this season and why uh, Chelsea because I think it's bad luck to say City that's exactly what you said last season and, and exactly what I said your season before yeah <laughs> and who, who won the league when I said that yeah City did fair play uh, Richard uh, City because it's a really interesting experiment now in whose luck bears out um, <laughs> No, City, because uh, they've signed well and, uh, yeah, Haaland's going to hit the ground running and uh, if that's the case, they'll be unstoppable. OK, well, I think I know your answer to this one because, Richard, who will be City's top scorer this season? Uh, I'm going to go for Haaland. Thought you might, Kieran. <laughs> Haaland. 
Yeah, and uh, Kieran, will City reclaim the Carabao Cup? Yes. Richard? Um, y- yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Richard, which City player will be the surprise of the season and why? Um, oh god, that's a good question. Um, Nathan Aki, because he's going to play, uh, he's going to play a lot more than expected uh, because of the reasons that we discussed earlier in the show, and he's going to absolutely boss it when he plays. Kieran, uh, Cole Palmer, I think oh. uh, he looks ready to step up. A few high-profile exits might allow him a little bit more time on the pitch, plus the five subs, um, and I just. I just think he looks great, and th- this might be a season where we finally start to see that a bit more regular. Prem soon come. Yeah. Um, Karen, which player needs a good season, and why? Ederson. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's been a little bit shaky for a little while now, not with his distribution, but um, between the sticks uh, with the shot saving. Uh, I'm sick of kind of saying... He could have done better there, so hopefully he steps up now with uh, some uh, perhaps a better competition. Uh, I know this isn't a quick fire answer, sorry, but uh, with the the new sub goalkeeper that's been signed, yeah, Richard. Uh, I'm glad you let Kieran go first because I was torn between uh, Edison and Grealish. Uh, I'm gonna so for the sake of something different, I'll say Grealish. Um, like him a lot, he was really good last season. Uh, at, at times, he was outstanding. You think about the, the Manchester derby, he was he was brilliant uh, but there's definitely more to do to justify that price tag um, more numbers he can hit goals assist wise and I think uh, it'll be great to see him hit that sort of second season stride that the signings under Pep tend to yeah Richard you've already had a little mini nibble at this one but uh, we didn't get a firm answer from you so will Pep Guardiola sign a contract extension yeah why not Kieran yes uh, which member of the podcast team will win the most money on the charity bet, Kieran? Uh, I will say Howard Hawken. And Richard? Dan Burke. Now, again, this has happened every season so far. The pair of you haven't said me, and I'm on every show. Because <laughs> you sometimes farm out your answers to the rival <laughs> fan who's on, don't you? Yeah, that is true. That is true. And uh, one that I have literally just thought of uh, during that question, which hasn't, which neither of you have been prepared for because I didn't tell you beforehand. Um, Richard, how many times, uh, now that there's five substitutions in the Premier League, will Pep Guardiola make no changes at all? <laughs> <laughs> um, three. Kieran? Uh, four. Okay, I'll come back to that one at the end of the season, but I guarantee I'll probably forget before then anyway. But uh, yeah, there we go. Right, well, that brings our first Blue Moon podcast of the new season to a close. If you've enjoyed it, then please go and give it a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you can. Starting on Monday, the Patreon bonus show will be back and we've got some more guests talking us through their five picks of the games that made me and uh, some more City Heaven, City Hell shows coming up as well. We've also got a brand new format of Nostalgia coming too. It's called Season Flashbacks. Look out for that. They'll all be a available for everyone on the £2 a month tier, so you'll get four or five extra shows for your money each month, and they're all good fun as well, so head on over to patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast to sign up. You can actually enjoy all of last season's bonus episodes for free before the 1st of August. That's because there's no charge on the Patreon until then, so you can try before you buy if you sign up before the end of the month, and you can cancel at any time. There's no obligation to stick around until that first payment is taken as long as you cancel before August. So go and check it out, patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Thank you to my guests for this week, Richard Burns. Thank you, David. Pleasure as always. And Kieran Murray. Cheers, Blue. 
I'll be back next week to preview the opening Premier League game away at West Ham. So I'll see you then. Take care. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.